0: Hello, everybody, Millennium Live listeners. It's great to be back here on another episode of the Millennium Live podcast series. We have a great sponsor with us today because we're going to be talking all about empowering software innovation securely. We have a great company. It's called Sonatype and to talk all about sonotype and and recent events happening surrounding cloud security and cybersecurity software we have brian fox he's the chief technology officer and co-founder of sonotype uh, brian is a governing board member of the open source security foundation he's a member of the apache software foundation and former chair of the apache maven project he's got over 20 years of experience developing and leading development of software for organizations ranging from just startups to large enterprises. It's great to to have you on the podcast, Brian. Welcome to Millennium Live.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Hi everyone.
0: So I want to start here. Uh, you know, we're gonna go right into uh, supply chain, and uh, we have a, a recent report that you guys put out that shows an average of seven hundred forty-two percent increase. In software supply chain attacks, each year uh, for the last three years, dating back since 2019, that's uh, you don't um, you know that's a big number. Not to beat around the bush here. So, you know what's going on here? You know, are are there more hackers out there, or is it easier to to hack? Why are cyber attacks increasing at such a, an alarming rate? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I think, you know, we're seeing the latest evolution of a cat and mouse game, right? You know, network attacks were a thing that were countered to some extent by firewalls and then people figured out how to move beyond that into social engineering attacks and and these types of things and you know, it was back in 2017 when I first started speaking about this rise of malicious, you know, attacks on the supply chain. Um not a lot of people were paying attention at that point, but um Fortunately, unfortunately, the number of them has, has increased to the point where people generally understand that this is an issue. You know, Solar Winds was was a great example of a highly sophisticated supply chain attack. Um, why are we seeing a, a massive rise in that? You know, we, there's a study that I've been using and talking about for a while. You know, cyber crime as an industry was a ten and a half trillion dollar industry in uh, 2021. Um, as compared to the global drug trade, so if you think of all the drugs in the world that 's a five hundred and fifty billion dollar you know so the cybercrime is already dwarfing this by orders of magnitude all of the drugs in the world, and it's predicted to um to to grow um, you know even more in the next couple of years right and so if you think about that from an investment perspective, that ten and a half trillion dollars is what's being invested against us that 's what they're extracting. And so naturally, it's a gold rush. Um, I think that's why we're seeing each year for the last year, this 750% increase. You know, it's like 7,000% over the last three years total. It's, it's insane.
0: Mm. And I think that's why you invented software supply chain management and to help organizations figure this out and, <clears throat> and be there for them when these attacks happen. So I just want a couple more leading questions to this. You know how is Sonatype helping customers get a better handle on software supply chain security, and perhaps in, in your opinion, Brian, you know what are the first steps organizations should take to really protect themselves around these?
1: Yeah. So you know we've been we started um, in 2008. We our first product was a, a repository manager for. Tools like Maven and NuGet and Docker and these types of things. And we we pretty quickly, through working with customers, recognized that there was a gap in in the information that customers were continuing to use. The versions of projects that had known vulnerabilities were often the most popular, which showed you know at industry level people didn't understand what was going on. So we started building software before it was even SCA was even a term long before you know a decade before SBOM was a term right So I've seen this evolve uh, over over a number of years, but we we first started by helping customers understand what's inside their software. you know they didn't have a good way of doing that and and at the time even, Um, You know, many, many organizations weren't using package managers, so it's not like you could just read the manifest to figure out what was in there, and we had to build techniques like binary analysis to figure out what actually was inside so that we could first produce what we now would refer to as an S-bomb, and then, you know, use a lot of techniques to be able to to have data around what vulnerabilities are in it, what the license is, age, popularity, quality, and try to bring all of that back so that then you know the organizations could reason about the dependencies that are in their software, so um, so that's kind of you know a, a snippet of what we've been doing for a long time, um, trying to do this in a way that's compatible with with development and not a weapon against development. And so the first thing to get started, if you can't answer the question, you know, if I if I told you about a new vulnerability today, could you answer the question, are we even using that component anywhere in my organization? If you can't answer that, then you also can't answer what applications specifically are we using the specific affected version of that and and how will we track the remediation so if you can't do those things um that's the first step and and sadly um many many organizations are totally unprepared for that as evidenced by the log4j consumption so log log4j log4shell um well we're closing in on 18 months now since that you know dropped on the world before christmas of 2021 and um as of you know today, the world is still consuming those known vulnerable versions nearly one-third of the time, 30% of the time when Log4J is downloaded, it's of these known vulnerable versions 18 months later. There's no good excuse for that other than organizations don't actually know what's inside their software and they're just continuing to use this, these things over and over again.
0: Well, you said it best. I mean, I think you kind of alluded to how you know difficult it is then for you know to scaling cybersecurity process like this for any size enterprise. But sonotype is empowering fearless open source development. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about the the sonotype platform and and the ways it, it truly helps organizations better prepare. Sure. So like I said we we
1: have um you know, the binary analysis techniques to be able to tell you precisely what's inside your software. Um, And then we provide uh, a ton of deeply researched metadata. You know, we found early on that the National Vulnerability Database was not complete and not precise enough for the level of uh, automation that we were looking for. So we have to go and do extra levels of research to track uh, very precisely where the vulnerable code is so that we can make sure we taint on... Uh, Only the submodules that matter, you know, the example would be something like spring has uh, 80 individual components, but the NVD does not have a in a coordinate system, everything would map against spring. Right. And so if you're using any one of the modules of spring, you would get back all of the vulnerabilities of any of the modules in spring uh, with other tools that don't have this level of precision. So we we created that level of precision because I wanted to be able to do analysis very quickly in the context of development when the developers are choosing the components. And and in that context, false positives would kill you. You know, it's the broken fire alarm or the broken car alarm. You just turn it off. And so um so with that data behind it and, and, a, and a flexible uh, policy system, we're able to allow organizations to find guardrails that can be applied very quickly. So you don't have to wait for um, six weeks for somebody to approve the use of a component or not. We can tell you right away if it's if it's uh, allowed. And then one other newer part of the, the portfolio to address this malicious open source I was talking about is the firewall part of the platform, which um, sits on top of a repository manager and can defend against these known uh, or unknown at the time uh, malicious open source and we have a lot of mlai techniques that can identify that stuff on
0: the fly that's great wow so i w- i do want to talk a little bit about you know that it's it's almost been 2 years since the executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity was announced and talk about deadlines they're fast approaching so how should cybersecurity leaders, executives, and the C-suite be preparing uh, for this in in a timely fashion? Because it's uh, it's a it's coming up fast.
1: It it's it's almost the answer to my to to the last question because the thing I was saying you need to do is know what's inside your software. Well, that's the S bomb. That's what the executive order is requiring organizations that sell software to the U.S. Mm-hmm. government to be able to do. Um, now, the executive order in its initial form was a little vague in, in what an S-bomb should be. In fact, it wasn't even required to be in a machine-readable format. A, a PDF literally could be sufficient. you know. So I see a lot of organizations getting hung up on, on we don't know what the format is, we don't know what the minimum standards are, and, and meanwhile, they're still standing around and have no idea what they would put in it, even if they could be told what those standards are. So get started with that inventory. Um, what we've found is that organizations... Um, you know that uh, that do this, um, you know are, are so much better prepared for all the dimensions beyond just security. but that's how you need to be preparing for this.
0: No surprise that you know macroeconomic headwinds are forcing many organizations to reassess their tech stacks and and cut back in certain ways. So how can l- cyber leaders emphasize the continued importance, And investment in security, even though when budgets are tight, you know, this is how this podcast started out with increasing cyber attacks. So I'm sure it's as important than ever to continue the security of the enterprise.
1: Well, companies that do a better job of managing their supply chains, even physical ones, are more efficient. And we have studies that show that. that organizations that convert and and get their software supply chain under control tend to be th- at least 30% more efficient. Now that could be 30% more innovation that you're piling in, you know, against your competition or in today's environments it could be 30% less that you have to spend to do the same thing. And this comes from, you know, being able to make better choices around the components, not having 80 versions of of the then available 84 versions of spring, like we've seen in, in at least one organization, right? Reduce the surface area, make better choices, don't have 15 different XML parsers. You know, these things kill an organization at scale, but you can't even start to reason about that if again, you don't know what's inside your software. So getting this under control will allow you to be much more efficient. And it, you know, it it's not, it shouldn't be hard to believe, but take a look at auto manufacturers, you know, to- Toyota as well known for having very good control over their entire supply chain um, and they're able to build you know more reliable safer cars for for the same cost i mean walmart also famously you know uh controls their entire supply chain vertically up and down and they use that to provide you know lower cost goods to consumers so the same is true of your software so when you're talking about how are we going to do more with less you need to do this, and it will allow you to do more with less. That's the bottom line. It's not spend more on security just for the sake of being secure. It's get these things under control, and then um, actually you you can spend less in many areas.
0: And so, and we continue this talk about what enterprises need to do and be on the lookout for. the The new national cybersecurity strategy calls for cybersecurity liability and holding software providers responsible. Now, you know, how does this impact software development? I'm sure it has it's everybody's just more aware when they are and the developers, you know, how can organizations better prepare to mitigate this liability and become more aware of the this new strategy?
1: Right. So the strategy is basically saying that organizations that are, are that are doing a poor job Uh, a poor job to be determined based on industry best practices. But if you fall below what are considered to be accepted practices and your products cause harm uh, or data loss or, you know, monetary loss or whatever, you should be held liable. Currently contract law allows software organizations to disclaim liability or to limit, you know, to the purchase price of the software. And they're basically saying that's ridiculous. And you know what? I emphatically agree. You know, all of those organizations I mentioned before that are 30% of them that are still using the known vulnerable log4j, like if that leads to a data breach, the consumers should rightfully be outraged, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. take... take. auto manufacturers and airbags, right? There were airbag problems multiple years ago. How would you feel if you bought a brand new model year 2023 car and found out it had a 2015 known vulnerable to airbag in it? You would be outraged and you would yeah. be justified in doing so. And if that caused a, a loss of life, you would expect that the extra liability would, would be attached to that. Why should it be different from software? Right. So every mature industry has gone through this transformation a hundred years ago. It was a food uh, industry where you couldn't sue for bad practices in the food until just a hundred years ago. That seems crazy, but that's what happened. Uh, Same thing with auto manufacturers. So I think we, we in the software industry have been living in this sort of the honeymoon phase and, and because we didn't get our act together in time, time's changing, but it's the inevitable conclusion of any mature industry as far as i'm concerned.
0: Huh. so i'm i'm curious to know brian if there's any if there is a, a common cybersecurity misconception that um that you wish all leaders knew and that perhaps some leaders out there don't understand.
1: <laughs> great question. i think i think that it's becoming less of an issue these days but certainly i think there's still pockets where leaders believe that their software is nearly all created by their developers. And the reality has been true for nearly 20 years at this point, that 80 to 90% of the software in your applications comes from uh, developers that you don't know, open source, uh, third party, these types of things. And so for various reasons, software that's acquired outside of you know, say the commercial procurement process, right? When, I, when an organization buys software, it's often a huge burden and there's contract review and technology review and tracking and all these things happen. But none of that happens on the open source side because it's free and so organizations and leaders maybe aren't aware that what's effectively happened is 80% of their stack has completely bypassed all the procedures and checks and balances that they have in place for their commercial side and that's all that we're talking about here you know even back to the the um, the second question you know what what how do you get started know what's in your software well you probably have an asset list of all the software you buy why don't you have the asset list of all the things that you acquire for free and 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 manage it the same way, you know? So I I, I really think that hopefully that's eye opening to to leaders that don't know that, <laughs> but that would explain why the all of these other shocking stats that I'm talking about because it's kind of flying under the radar. It's not unknown to your development teams, but it may be unknown to your leadership teams.
0: Yeah, I agreed. So I mean, Brian is. It... This is so much fun talking to you. I, you know, we're approaching four o'clock on a on a Thursday here in in New York, but I can't let you go without asking you, you know, one final question. What I like to do on Millennium Live is, uh, is think about the future. You know, is a good way to end the uh, podcast. And you know, I think from what Sonatype is doing, just creating all these tools that are automatically blocking open source vulnerabilities and providing. Coverage uh, for the vulnerable areas for all sizes, uh, all size enterprises. Where do you see this technology going? Uh, because from from how we started the podcast about um, each year of the uh, seven hundred, a uh, nearly seven hundred fifty percent increase in software supply chain attacks. Uh, we're gonna need. Uh, we're gonna need companies like Sonatype to continue the great work. Of defense. So, where do you see this uh, going in five years? Where do you see cybersecurity in five years? You could take this any way you want to, but uh, might as well. Thought I'd ask you, Brian.
1: Sure. I mean, given that I've been dealing with this now, you know, for almost 16 years, it's easy to be jaded. Um, (laughs) It's been (laughs) it's been one of these uh, very slowly, then all at once. I think, unfortunately, things like solar winds and and the colonial pipeline and and log for shell have have de- definitely woken people up the s bomb mandates and the the following on work from CISA, and and they've been producing a lot of great guidance has me finally optimistic that we will solve this problem it's unfortunately it's very late we could have started to solve this a, a lot longer ago so when i look forward to to this you know part of me feels like it would be great if uh from From humanity and society and and all these things that uh, all the things I've been talking about, I find have to go find something else to talk about. It would be great if those things were solved. Um, and that probably will be true to some extent. However, it's a constant cat and mouse game. When we close this door, the attackers will find a different window that's unlocked to go through. How do how do I predict what that is? I don't know, but I'm fairly certain that we will be continuing to play the cat and mouse game of a different, slightly alternate flavor in five years. But let's at least please just put this one behind us.
0: <laughs> I agree with that too, Man, Brian. It's been great chatting with you. I I love hearing all about the type and and just really what's going on and how leaders need to be prepared for what's ahead. It's a uh, it's it's never ending cybersecurity and and we know that. And, and it's great to have these types of discussions to make sure that uh, leaders understand. And it's l- great, again, learning about Sonatype and how you guys provide software supply chain management for enterprises, big and small, trusted by 15 million developers. There's a reason you're on Millennium Live today. So thank you so much, Brian Fox, CTO, Sonatype, for joining Millennium Live. It's it's uh, it's great. We had a great week of cybersecurity at the Transformational CISO event this week, And uh, really looking forward to continuing the conversation with you, Brian. So let's stay in touch.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone.